This is the Life Church Podcast. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Amen. Good morning. Everybody doing okay? Yes. Awesome. 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 I, I tell you what, if you've never experienced Servolution back to school, you need to be there. Um, we've done this for a number of years, and uh, to be honest with you, it is a highlight of what we do every year. It's a, um, there are many people that are, con- that, uh, that are connected to Life Church, committed to Life Church, and the connection point for them was seeing what God was doing at Servolution and how God was touching people's lives in very, very tangible, very po- powerful ways. All right, well, today we kick off a new series called Neighboring. As you see the graphics, you know, I think it's self-explanatory. You know what we're, we're, we're kind of going to talk about. And so I would encourage you, here's, here's the encouragement for this series, short three-week series, but the encouragement is this. Will you open up your heart? Will you simply say, God, I want you to speak to me very clearly about what you want me to do? That's really the direction we want to go. In fact, I, I kind of hope that that, that's what you do every single Sunday when you walk through these doors, that you come ready to receive and hear what God, has something, what God has to say to you. I'm not necessarily saying what I'm talking about. Sometimes what I'm talking about is not at all what God speaks to you. God speaks to you in a different way, tells you something differently. But whatever it is, my hope and prayer is that your heart is open to hear what God has for you and, and to start walking out some steps of obedience over the next uh, several weeks. You know, when I was 17... Uh, I landed in DFW Airport. My whole family, we landed in DFW Airport for the very first time. As many of you know, we grew up in the country of Panama. And, uh, and so my mother uh, did a very courageous thing. She took her, her, her five sons and her mother with just suitcases. That's all we had was our suitcases. Everything else got left behind. And we made our way to, to the United States. And we landed. My, got, I told you a story. Picked up by my uncle. My uncle picked me and all four of our, my four brothers up, and, uh, and he, he had a, a Vega, uh, like a 1972 Vega, I, a tiny little car, you know, and so, so, you know, that was back when you could pile people in the back seat, and it was no problem, you know, and so a bunch of us piled in the back seat, you know, and he had no air conditioning, so we had to roll down, it was, it was a very hot Texas summer, it was like 114 degrees out. That hot air was just, I mean, there was no consolation with the wind blowing through the windows. It was completely just hot air baking us inside of that little Vega, you know. Um, but anyway, that's, that's n- neither here nor there. What, 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 was, what I want to get to is when I, I went to school, a few months after I went to my first uh, day in, in school at Duncanville High School, Duncanville, Texas, suburb of, of Dallas, and, um, and I, I was sitting in my Algebra two class and after the class was done, my teacher on my way out said, hey, Ricky, can I talk to you? I went by Ricky back then. Can't call me Ricky now, but. <laughs> I, but <laughs> I bet half of you are going to call me Ricky. I, get, I guarantee. <laughs> but uh, and so she calls, hey, Ricky, I need to talk to you. So I went up to her, you know, she goes, hey, do you wear glasses? I'm like, no, I don't, I don't wear glasses. So, well, come sit over here. She had me sit in the same seat I'd been sit- sitting during the class. And she says, tell me what you read on the board. And I was like squinting, you know, trying to, and I was, I was actually making it out. I was reading it, but I was really struggling to read it. And she goes, you need glasses. I'm like, 
I don't need glasses. I'm fine, you know. And here's the thing. What, I, what happened was, is I, grew, I had never had glasses before. I grew up thinking that my vision was normal. Not, I never thought through it. It's just that that's the way I saw. It was, I had never experienced anything else. That's how I saw things. And for years in Panama, I needed glasses, but I didn't know I needed glasses. I just thought this is normal. This is normal vision. And so for this series, what I'm hoping to do is hand you a pair of glasses. Some of you already are wearing these glasses, but others, others of you need to use these glasses and start seeing the world a little bit differently. Allow God to open up our eyes to see the way he sees. That's really what this series is about as we talk about, about neighboring, right? So some years in the, the life of a nation are better than others, And 50 years ago was not a great year for the United States. 1968 um, was a a difficult year. It started out in January when the USS Pueblo, it's an intelligence gathering ship, was captured by the North Koreans. And then later that month, um, the Vietnam conflict changed and what what is now known as the Tet Offensive uh, started and that really basically turned it for the United States. The United States was not able to recover from that and eventually had to leave and def- defeat from Vietnam. Um, on April 4th of, of 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. Three weeks later, students at Columbia University started a protest against the war, the war of the Vietnam War that time, started a protest against the war And that protest spread worldwide. It became something that really shook the foundations of of our culture and our society as we know it. Six weeks after that, Robert Kennedy had just won the California primaries and was on his way out, leaving the hotel, walking through a kitchen when he was assassinated. Two months after that, riots broke out at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois. Seven weeks later, at the Mexico City Olympics, two young black men, as they won medals, I have an image of this, as they won medals during the national anthem, instead of doing the normal thing in a national anthem where they put your hand over your heart and it's played, instead raised their fist in the air in protest. It was a tough year, 1968. I was only five years old then. So I didn't really remember any of this or recall all of this. What was unnoticed, what was unnoticed in in 1968 was in February of 1968, February 19th, 1968, in a a TV station, WQED of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, this 40-year-old Presbyterian minister and a childhood educator, he took the set. And he started a show that we are all now very familiar with. He walked onto set, took off his sports coat and put, a little, put on a little, a little sweater. Sat down, took off his dress shoes and put on some, some sandals. Fred McFeely Rogers started the show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It's a show that went on for 33 years in a day and time when six, six years would have been Success. This show went on for 33 years. Fred Rogers brought little people into the set. It was a set that had a regular world. It had a make-believe world. 
And in both worlds, there was just this one, this one value. It was the value of the one person. That's how Fred Rogers designed it. He created props. He, he wrote songs. Um, it was, there was just this one single value he had. And it kind of got, came out, it came out in the song that always started off, please won't you be my neighbor? Please won't you be my neighbor? This was 1968. Today it's kind of morphed into a new show. How many of you know, you young parents, Daniel Tiger, right? <laughs> yeah, all the young parents are like, yes, thank you, Mr. Rogers, <laughs> for Daniel Tiger, because my, my grandkids just stare at the screen when Daniel Tiger's on. There was an episode in 1969, early 1969, where Mr. Rogers was cooling his feet at a little kid's swimming pool. He was sitting there and, you know, doing his normal routine and whatnot, and then Officer Clemens walked up. And he said to Officer Clemens, hey, Officer Clemens, would you, uh, would you like to cool your feet with me? And so Officer Clemens sat next to, next to Fred Rogers and started cooling his feet. Now, this doesn't seem like a lot, but this was 1969, in the height of the civil rights movement, in a, time and day, in a day and time when, when, in a lot of places in America, that was not even allowed. And yet, the resounding, resounding message was, please, won't you be my neighbor? And that's really what we're hoping to accomplish in this series, is that God would give us new glasses to see people as, as who they are. They're our neighbors. It's a question we'll be asking through this series, is please, won't you be my neighbor? There's a passage in Luke chapter 10 that kind of is the anchor it's the anchor story for this whole series where Jesus basically in the story illustrates what neighboring looks like. Now, it's the context of this passage that's very, very important for us. We, we know, we understand that you, you, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. So how many of you have ever used the word or know about the word Good Samaritan? Raise your hand. Most of us. In fact, Good Samaritan now has kind of, it's in, it's in the mainstream vocabulary now. You don't even have to be a Christian to use the word Good Samaritan because everybody knows about the Good Samaritan. Now, they may not know the context. They may not know the background. They may not even know that Jesus was the first one to ever talk about the Good Samaritan, but they use it because it's part of our mainstream vocabulary. We understand the words Good Samaritan. But I think it's the backstory that's very, very important for us to understand as we, as we look at the story of the Good Samaritan. There's a group of people following Jesus around, and they're trying to trap him in his words. Jesus, there's a rumor out there that Jesus is the Messiah, okay? People are hearing, especially the religious leaders are hearing that Jesus is the Messiah, so they're, they're following him around. They, they don't like this. This is something that's disturbing to them, that this this carpenter become rabbi is actually the Messiah. This doesn't make any sense to them. In fact, the, the problem really is that, that Jesus is taking away some of the popularity that they have as a religious elite of, of Israel. And so they're angry about this. They're frustrated with this. And so just, they've decided that they're gonna launch this campaign to basically trap Jesus in his world, words. Sometimes he says things that are just very close to the edge. So let's figure out how to trap him in his words. So you got these lawyers who are following Jesus around. They're taking copious notes. They're, they're documenting everything he's saying. They're making sure that, you know, because later on they're going to use it, right? And, and in fact, that's exactly what they did. They said, he's going to tear the temple down and build it back up in three days. What's, this is blasphemy. 
They're just taking notes of what Jesus was talking about. They're trying to trap him in his words. And so let's look at this. This story's worth looking at. It's kind of putting on some new glasses, okay? Luke 10, 25, it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law, that's lawyers in those days, stood up to test Jesus. So he's in this, he's in this crowd. Jesus is having a conversation. He's teaching, and the lawyer raises his hand. Hey, hey, I have a question for you, uh, Rabbi. He's very, he's very respectful. I have a question for you. This is what he says. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question. In fact, I imagine it's probably a question that many of us at some point in our lives have pondered. We thought about what does it mean to go to heaven? What does it mean, maybe you use other language, what does it mean to be good with God? A lot of people walk around, probably comfortable in their skin, but when they start bringing up the God question, they're like, oh, I don't know if I'm good with God because I really, I really screwed up last night or I messed up this or I did this wrong or I did that wrong. And so I'm not sure if I'm really good with God. So he's asking a very, a very relevant question for all of us. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a, he's a good trial lawyer, so you never, a good trial, never ask a question he doesn't already know the answer to. They don't do that. They don't go to court and start to ask questions out there that are, they may get a variety of different answers and suddenly they find themselves stuck, right? So he knows the answer. In fact, he knows the answer since he was a little boy in Jewish Sunday school. He knows exactly what you have to do to get right with God, to be right with God. So this is what, um, what Jesus does. He kind of turns the table on him. Verse 26, what is written in the law? Hey, you're a lawyer. What does the law say? Right? How do you read it? In other words, as you read the law, how do you interpret this idea of getting into heaven? And so he responds back with a combination of two Old Testament passages, Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. And, and he knows this because, like I said, he already knew the answer before he even asked the question. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. To which the crowd, are, that, you know, the crowd is there listening to Jesus and these and these religious and this and this lawyer. As soon as he says that, they all like applause. Yay! Good job. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly how you're right with God by loving Him completely. And then this lawyer adds another verse that would have not not normally been added to this passage, but this is this is how he maybe he knew that Jesus wanted to hear this and love your neighbor. As yourself. Maybe this was the trap. Maybe this is how he was trying to trap Jesus into saying something he shouldn't say. So Jesus responds, Bingo! No, he didn't say that. You're like, Bingo's in the Bible? No. Verse 28 You answered correctly, Jesus says. You answered correctly. Do this. And you will live. In other words, love God completely and love your neighbors yourself and you will live. You will have eternal life. You will definitely be in. That's how he answers it, right? Jesus so like, great answer. We're on the same page. And maybe at that point, Jesus starts gesturing like he's going to leave. Hey, good job. You, you took the exam. You passed the test. You're, we're good. And he's like, he's going to walk away. And so here's how the lawyer Royer responds, but he wanted to justify himself. Like, wait a minute, this answer is way too open-ended. You know, I was fishing for something and you didn't take the bait. So he tries to, maybe he's trying to clarify, maybe this is the trap, right? 
Verse 29. But he, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? It's interesting. We're talking, the original question is, how do we inherit eternal life? And it gets very quickly moved to, who is my neighbor? It's interesting there's a connection there. Perhaps this was a trap. Maybe, maybe the trap was to get Jesus to define neighbors so broadly as to discredit, you know, discredit Jesus with his followers. I don't know. A little Greek word that's used there is the word plesion, which basically means one who is near. And throughout history, it's been interpreted in many different ways. You know, it's, maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your actual neighbors. Maybe it's the community that you live in. Maybe it's the, the country that you live in. Maybe those are your neighbors. Maybe it's, the, maybe it's beyond that, right? The, the, literal, the literal translation of that is another member of the human race, regardless of race, creed, or color, or any of that kind of stuff. Who is my neighbor? But the problem is that during this day and time, when Jesus was talking about this, and this lawyer is asking the question, the term neighbor had been reduced down to something else. It had been reduced down to this, the one that I like. So in that lawyer's mind, there were two categories. There was a neighbor and there was the people I don't like. And of course, the people I like, I'm going to do stuff for them. I'm going to help them and whatever. And then there's the people that are not like me. Maybe they're a different color, maybe a different race, maybe a different uh, language, barrier, whatever. You know, I, I just don't like them. I don't know anything about them. You know, I'm kind of squinting as I look at them because I can barely see who they really are. Maybe this was a trap. Maybe this was what he was trying to trap Jesus. Maybe if, he, if Jesus responded back, hey, sinners and tax collectors are your neighbors. That would have been offensive to a lot of his followers. What? What do you mean sinners and tax collectors are our are, are, are neighbors? That's, that's kind of... That's a little bit out there, Jesus. Are you sure about this? What do you mean sinners and tax collectors? So by, the, by this point, you know, as, as this exchange between Jesus and this lawyer is going on, I imagine I have this mental picture of this crowd. They're like pressing in. Okay, Jesus, what do you have to say about that? Like they, they're watching at it. They're like watching a game. They're watching this lawyer go back and forth with Jesus, you know, and then and now they want to know the answer. Yeah. Who is our neighbor? We'd like to know who is our neighbor. And so here's how Jesus responds. In reply, Jesus said, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. <laughs> like, oh man, here he goes with those stories again. One of those made-up stories. Why can't you just answer the question directly? Why is it once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, there was a man, you know, why don't you just simply say what it is? We want the answer. So Jesus, though, is going to tell a story and he's going to answer the question, who is my neighbor? This is why this story is very, very important. We can read the story of the Good Samaritan and very quickly come to the conclusion, yeah, hey, the Good Samaritan was just a, a good guy and I should be a Good Samaritan. I should, you know, but the, the question behind that is, who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? And this is what this whole series is about, is us putting on some lens and saying, God, who are our neighbors? Right? It's very relevant to us. Very, very relevant to us. Verse 30. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is like about a 17-mile trek from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's in the southern part of Judea, and uh, it's downhill. It's like a 3,000-foot 3, 3, drop. So you imagine you're, 
you ever drop 3,000 feet in 17 miles? It's quite a steep, steep ride. So this man's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into the hands of robbers, which is not unlikely to happen. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So here's a mental picture that Jesus is painting. There's a man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's assaulted and left for dead. And they're thinking that maybe at night, if he stays there long enough, eventually he's going to get eaten by wild animals, right? Then, he goes on with the story, a priest. Okay, so these people know about priests. It's kind of like the top of the food chain. This guy's ceremonially clean. He's been in a temple in Jerusalem, possibly, you know. Happened to be going down the same road when he, here's an important word, what? Saw him. The priest saw him. He saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. Now, we're not certain. We can't really be absolutely certain about what this man was thinking. I'm not sure. But one thing we know is that he saw this man. And when he saw this man, he came up with a reason why he shouldn't stop and help this man. Now, he's a priest. Maybe he's ceremonially clean. Maybe he's not allowed to touch somebody who's on the side of the road injured. Maybe their law had been built in such a way that they knew that. And so he had a reason. He had a foolproof reason why he shouldn't touch. Maybe, maybe it was because he was afraid. Maybe if he stopped as he was passing by, maybe the same robbers that were still lurking in the woods waiting to attack Maybe that was the deal. I don't know. But what we do know, we don't know exactly why he didn't stop, but what we do know is that he saw the man and didn't stop. Possibly, actually, being the priest thought, hey, since the original question is, how, am I, how do I inherit eternal life? Maybe he thought that this man did something wrong. And this was punishment. He's getting his due. Maybe this is exactly how God wanted it. Maybe. We don't know. What we, knew, what we do know is he saw the man and he figured out a reason not to help. Verse 32, he says, So too, in other words, in the same way, a Levite, not quite a priest, often very wealthy though and educated. In fact, in the crowd, if he said a Levite, the people would be like, ooh, a Levite. Interesting story. You know, that's what they would be listening to. So too, a Levite... When he came to the place and what? Saw him. So this man also saw him. He passed by on the other side. Again, we can't really know exactly what they were thinking. Maybe he was too busy. Maybe he was a Levite. Maybe he had a business meeting to get to. I don't know. But what we do know is that he saw the man. And upon seeing the man, he decided, I can't help. I can't stop and help. And then verse 33. But, not so too, but but a Samaritan. Now, <laughs> Think with me real quick, okay? So Samaritans were people from the north. They, uh, for the Jews, they were, half, they were considered half-breeds, half-Jewish, half-Babylonian, Assyrian, kind of, you know, from a race standpoint. They were people that worshipped in another city. They didn't really worship in Jerusalem. The Jews despised the Samaritans. They really hated the Samaritans. They were not people very, very much liked. In fact, a Jewish person traveling from the south of Israel and going north, having to pass through Samaria would oftentimes not go through Samaria. They would go around Samaria because they don't want to have to interact with a Samaritan. They were despised people. You might as well build a wall on the border. Sorry to use that language, but you know what I'm talking about. 
They hated him. And so as Jesus tells a story and he introduces a Samaritan into the story, you have to understand something. This crowd is like, why are you talking about this? What do you mean, a Samaritan? Why would a Samaritan be down in Judea? Why would he be going from Jerusalem to, to Je- it doesn't make any sense. Why would you even be talking about this? But Jesus, in his classic way, he's introducing a character. He's, he's, there's, there's a twist and turn to what he's doing. In many ways, it's kind of like the dun, 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 part of the, you know, the t- whatever. Yeah, you get what I'm talking about. Anyways, it's taking on this extreme, unexpected turn. Verse 33 says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he, what? Saw him. All three of them saw the man. All three of them did. Now, keep in mind that this man on the side of the road most likely was a Jewish person because Jesus would have clarified if it was somebody who was different. And this Samaritan sees the man and he reacts differently than how the two Jewish people, the Levite and the priest, reacted. He saw him. What did he do? He took pity on him. In other words, when he saw the man, instead of going into these mental gyrations of why, trying to convince him why I shouldn't help, Trying to come up with a reason why I, I should not interact with this person. He could have easily done that. He said, this guy's a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. He hates my guts. Why would I want to help him? He could have done that, but he didn't. He actually steps in and he takes pity on the man. Verse 34, when he, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, it's a very dangerous thing to do. He stopped. He stopped on this very dangerous road to help a man. I mean, the robbers could have been close by. Pouring on, pouring on oil and wine. This is an expensive thing he did, right? Then he put the man on his own donkey. This is a difficult thing to do, picking up another person, trying to get him on your donkey, right? Took effort. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. You see, this story takes on an extreme set of circumstances. These, uh, these people listen and say, I'm, I'm not following anymore. I don't get what's going on. But see, Jesus masterfully, masterfully and with intent, is trying to explain to the crowd who is our neighbor. Verse 35, the next day, <clears throat> the next day he took, on, he took out two silver coins, which at that point I imagine the crowd is listening like, what, what? This is a total stranger. He's from a different race and this guy's gonna spend that kind of money on him? Are you kidding me? This doesn't make any sense to me. It make, it's like it makes as much sense as what you and I do sometimes for kingdom builders to sacrifice generously for people we've never met before. To give money away to, to, to organizations that are doing good around the world, but we don't really know those people. We don't live with those people. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then he asked the question, kind of in true cross-examination style, he says, which of these, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? That's the question, right? Who's my neighbor? Who really is the neighbor? Who really is the neighbor? That's what he's asking. Let me rephrase it. Which of these three guys acted neighborly? Which of these three guys loved the, the way they want to be loved? Which of these three guys are good with God? Verse 
Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, <laughs> probably mumbling, going, oh, fine, do I have to say it? Do I have to really answer this question? Do I really have to answer the question? The one who had mercy on him. Then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Kind of repeats what he said at the beginning. Do this and you will live. Go, and when you come into contact with your neighbor, who, by the way, may be completely different than you from a different race altogether, love him or her the way you want to be loved. And so really, this is the moral of the story. The moral of this story is one single thing. Neighboring is a choice. All three of those men had a choice. All three of them made a choice along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. You and I are on another road. We're... Our, whatever our road might be, but it's the same road, Jerusalem to Jericho. And along the way, every day, we make choices, all kinds of choices. And God's inviting us in this, through this parable to make a choice to love our neighbor as ourself, right? Especially the other. This story talks about the other one who is not like us, whose values are completely different than ours, who maybe come from a different socioeconomic status or maybe a different skin color or maybe they speak a completely different language. We are called by Jesus to love that neighbor as we love ourselves. The priest and the Levite, they made a choice. The choice they made was to narrow the definition of who, who is my neighbor. The Samaritan made the right choice. You see, there was a lot of potential in the priest and the Levite, a lot of potential. These guys knew the word. These guys were, were skilled in God's word. They understood what it meant to be in a relationship with God. They understood it, but they missed the mark. You know, you know what the word sin, have you ever, you, you hear about the word sin? We talk about it every once in a while. You know what the definition of sin is? Missing the mark. And these guys missed the mark when they kind of justify not helping out this guy, right? It's a choice. We make a choice. And the challenge for you and me is that every day we're faced with choices to be a good Samaritan, to be a good neighbor. I don't mean there's, every day you're going to run into somebody that's on the side of the road, but broken, beaten up, and bruised. You see this graphic that we made here? The whole intent behind the graphic is you are here. That's you in the middle, and you're surrounded by people. And we try, to kind of, we try to really focus in on the emotion on the face. You see a very happy woman. You see a very sad woman. You see a person seemingly homeless. You see a Muslim. You see an older man. You see a young surfer dude. <laughs> you know. And they're all your neighbors. They're all your neighbors. They're our neighbors. And so we're invited to be a good neighbor, that's what Jesus is, a choice that you and I are making. So this card, we made a card like this, one for every family. Or you could take, if you're a couple and you really wanna kind of focus on a couple different things, you can take two of them. But basically, there's some empty blocks. I, I, I have a picture on my phone, I, I forgot to get it up for the screen, but there's a, when we first moved into our neighborhood, my wife uh, got a piece of paper and she drew a big circle, which we live in a circle, and she started filling in all these blanks of houses in our neighborhood of people's names and their phone numbers and kids' names, I think, a few other things, you know. And, uh, and it was just our attempt to say, okay, we're here. This is our neighborhood. This is who we live with. How are we going to get to know them? How are we going to be a good neighbor? And I'm not going to say that I've been a great neighbor to all of my neighbors, 
My next door neighbor might be like, you don't mow your grass good enough, dude, or something. I don't know. He might not like me because I don't mow my grass well. <laughs> I had too many weeds, like we talked about last, last, last uh, uh, series. But we're called to be good neighbors. And here's the challenge. The challenge is for you, this may be your literal neighborhood, neighborhood, but it may be something else. It might be the people you work with. Imagine this is you and this are the, the offices or cubicles around you. Or maybe this is you and this is a neighborhood that you drive through every week, every, week, every day to work and God has been placing a burden on your heart for that neighborhood. You see the kids out playing or you see the, you see the parents kind of seemingly struggling or whatever and God's putting a burden on your heart to be a good neighbor to them. And so what I'm asking you for the next three weeks is basically to take this card and begin to fill in the blanks. You may not have to use this card. If you want to make something different, that's fine. But start filling in these blanks. Get to know your neighbors. Jesus has laid a choice before us, every one of us. It's a choice. We could choose to be the priest. We could choose to be the, the Levite. Or we could choose to be that, that Samaritan who made the right choice, who loved, who loved differently. That's the primary application of this story, but there's a secondary application that we can look at. Because maybe as I was talking, you just, you've lost track with me. You're not really tracking with me because really, you don't identify with the priest or the Levite or the Samaritan. You identify with a person on the side of the road, beaten and bruised went through a divorce or your life is upside down, struggling with debt, just got fired, whatever. And so secondary application is this, is that really Jesus is the great good Samaritan. He's the one who came and began to heal your wounds after your divorce. He's the one that gave you something to live for after you've suffered the tragedies that you've suffered in your life. Jesus wants to be that to you as well. So he first, he first invites us to, to look at him. Look at him, Jesus, and what he's done for you and I. And then he invites us to reciprocate that and become a good Samaritan to those around us. Amen. Let's all stand. This is the Life Church Podcast. 